0: This is Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Well, we are thankful, listeners, that you are here again. We hope to bring you a lot more interesting and uh, talkative uh, episodes. Talkative. Talkative. I'm going to use that word. (laughs) (laughs) That you can take to your place of work. I'm just going to try to explain this one a little bit more. (laughs) We started this year with a podcast that I did. I just want to drop this in here. Terry's pretty proud of this. Just be honest. Be honest about it, You know, it's my first time doing a podcast like this. It's a different type of podcast than what we do here. So not this podcast, but last week's podcast, which I would highly recommend. Yeah. It's called Humanize. And so we're going to look at different topics uh, with regards to humanization. Humanization. That is, that's a Human- word, Terry. Okay, good. <laughs> you actually <laughs> I, I, used a, I, a real word that time. <laughs> so we have the series The Human Project. looks globally at dehumanization. We want to come to our local community and highlight organizations and individuals that humanize those less fortunate
1: Yeah, and this time you were talking on the subject of homelessness, which is a huge issue on our town, and as we all know, it's a big issue everywhere. That is a great episode. Uh, I highly recommend it. Terry's going to be doing more of those. Put in tons of work into that. He did tons of interviews, managed to edit that whole thing down into 45 minutes. Yeah, it was a steep
0: learning curve, but it was fun. It was really good. And I hope it's engaging for you listeners uh, to listen to it and just think a little bit more about these topics that we engage in.
1: Speaking of that, we have uh, a good friend of mine on the show today. We're going to be talking on the issue of politics. This is something that's important for people to think about. In particular, I want to talk about aspects of politics that most people aren't thinking about and are not even aware of. My uh, friend here, Mark Vela, did I say that right? You got it right. <laughs> Happy to be here. Uh, good to have you on the show. I was thinking, you know, how, how it was that you and I originally met was I tagged along on a meeting I'd heard about this guy Mark and the incredible work you're doing uh, in the area of Canadian politics, which I think is important to just recognize. We are going to be talking about Canadian politics today, but we are going to take broad strokes that will address politics in general. Because I know we have a lot of listeners from the U.S., Japan, Australia, what all over. This will apply, uh, but then we are going to dive into Canadian specifics. But I think that those principles will apply elsewhere. Now. Politics is something that you've been passionate about for a while, but, but not your whole life. You got into this in a unique way. Yeah, exactly. Because you're, you are in banking. Yeah. And, and so I think it'd be good, Mark, just to start by kind of telling your story. Because I remember when we met for the first time, I tagged along on a meeting. And that's kind of how I was introduced to you was just through your story. So why don't you share that? How do you go from banking to politics? Well, I haven't gone
2: from one to the other because the, all the politicking I do is entirely volunteer. So I my day job is you know investment management, and then uh, I I don't even think of it so much as politics as a, as sort of citizen engagement or civic virtue it used to be the old way we played it. There's this buddy of mine who's writing a history right now of the Boy Scouts, and I said to him, I said I wasn't ever a Boy Scout, so and you know. Frankly, I don't really know anything about it because I was kind of wondering, is it basically like survival skills in the forest? Is that what Boy Scouts are basically like? And it seems like, you know, if that's the case, it's probably not a huge amount of demand for that. And he said, no, historically, the reason why it was started up was to teach people about civic engagement and developing, you know, basically trying to make boys good citizens,
1: future citizens. And I was like, wow, that's kind of my thing, too. That's one thing that I've really appreciated about you is you've really inspired me and many to realize that no matter what you're doing, you can get involved. And in fact, you should get involved yeah. in your voices needed, which, by the way, I won't get into this. It's an interesting side conversation. I had a Jehovah's Witness at my door the other day, oh, and they specifically – will not engage in politics. Yeah, exactly. uh, and so he and I had a very interesting conversation where I was like challenging him on that. And I realized, okay, I've clearly been influenced by Mark. And I've and I've appreciated this so much about you, where you've got the banking side, but then a large part of your volunteering is in the area of politics. Now, how did that happen? How did you make that connection and, and start getting involved?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, Quite simple, actually. Uh, I went to a little Christian school down in California, even though I'm a Canadian, and uh, graduated with a Bachelor of Liberal Arts. And, you know, what kind of job you get with a Bachelor of Liberal Arts is nothing. So I was like 22 years old and said to myself, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a journalist. And within about two weeks, I was a journalist because there was basically one sort of pro-Christian publication in Canada at that time, which is actually no longer with us, called the Alberta Report. And actually, it had a wing out here called the BC Report. So very quickly, I was doing freelance journalism with these guys, and I was terrible at it, <laughs> as I found out about a year later. But it planted a seed that just always stayed with me. So after doing that for about a year, i had moved to Alberta. In fact, I ended up living with the founder of this. His name is uh, Ted Byfield, who subsequently went on to not only do that magazine, he actually did a history of Alberta where I worked on that as a researcher. And then he wrote a history of Christianity as well. In fact, while I was with him, he uh, I think he converted to orthodoxy, if I remember correctly, while I was living there. So, you know, I didn't really realize it, but I was sort of swimming in this pool. Like one of the guys that we used to interview a lot of the time was a young man running uh, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. His name is Jason Kenney who, as we all know, is now the premier of Alberta. So Jason and I became uh, friends at that time. And in a way, that sort of was another thing that stuck with me. So after I quit journalism, moved back here, and then ended up getting into this line of work 20 years ago. You know, I got married, had a bunch of kids. Uh, I literally remember driving around town at one point and realizing that we had a stadium here, like just to show you how out of it I was when I was just dealing with diapers for years. And then basically the rise of Justin Trudeau, actually the issue that, you're going to laugh when you hear this because it's – when I mention this, people look at me like I've got two heads. The issue that really got me up off the couch was the prior government had finally brought in in taxation income splitting. So you're basically treating the family as an integral unit from a tax point of view. Every country in the world basically does this. And it really is helpful to families to have a stay-at-home spouse because you're treated fairly as one unit. So the prior government had implemented it, and Trudeau, one of his campaign planks back in this is the, the lead-up to the 2015 election, was he was going to roll that back. And, you know, for that, that was an issue which, for me, it was, the, it was sort of the crossroads between my two lives, which was investing and money management and all that stuff on the one hand, and essentially social conservatism on the other. You know, I, I really do think the family's just been under attack for decades and with shockingly little defense. So I got off my duff and went out and tried to start uh, door
0: knocking in a campaign. Before we continue, a message from Andy.
1: Hi listeners, this is Andy Steiger. I just wanted to remind you that I have a new children's book out that I co-authored with Rachel McKenzie called What Am I Worth? You can pick it up at Amazon or ApologeticsCanada.com. As well, I have a new book coming out in September with Zondervan. The title is Reclaimed, How Jesus Humanizes in a Dehumanized World. As you know, we are living in a challenging time, but I believe with great opportunities for sharing the gospel. This book uniquely uses our humanity to discuss the gospel and what a life of flourishing in Christ looks like that I believe is desperately needed in our world. If you would like to learn more about this resource and help us get the word out, please consider becoming a part of our book launch team and help us get this resource into people's hands. Those that participate will get an early edition of the book and have the opportunity to learn and interact with me on its content. If you would like to participate, let us know by emailing info at apologeticscanada.com.
0: And now, back to the podcast.
1: I think that there's a lot of people that can resonate with that, that there are issues going on right now yep. in politics that have gotten a number of people off the couch. Yep. Uh, I know that that's true of me, Terry, and many others that, that listen to the show. And so one of the things that we want to get into then is, okay, there's an issue that you know has, has gotten you off the couch that, yep. that you're concerned about. Where did you go next? How did you get involved and how difficult was it?
2: Well, this is the f- funny thing about it. Just to show you how ignorant I was. And I think I'm just a normal guy. So I think most people would be the same. As when I say I got involved, uh, I honestly didn't even know how to get involved. So I happened to phone my local member of parliament in my case, which was wrong. Because <laughs> the members of parliament represent all their constituents. They're not actually partisan in that sense? Cause I was like, no, I want to help on a campaign to beat Trudeau. That was my original idea. And they're like, well, no, you, you got to phone the riding association. I'm like, what's that? Like, like I knew nothing <laughs> about like how the ground game stuff worked.
1: I think that there's a lot of people that don't know anything about how the system works in general. Maybe we should just pause for a moment mm-hmm. and just briefly outline yeah. you know, the three main forms of, of government. Yep. Yeah and then how those are organized.
2: Good. That's a great point. In fact, uh, as we'll hopefully get into later on with uh, this other initiative that I've kind of helped push along, the first talk that we give is literally, we call it Politics for Dummies, and it is exactly just talking about the basic structure of government. And it's pretty common. I know your listeners are you know, really global, but Canada being a commonwealth nation, we've got this sort of this British system. So it's kind of simple. You've got federal politics, so that's the national stuff, then provincial stuff, provincial politics. So like federally, you have members of parliament, so the federal house, the national. Uh, MLAs, member of legislative assembly would be on the provincial side. And there's a big division of labour between those two. And uh, then the local uh, level would be municipal. So that's where you have your mayors and your town councillors.
1: And so then just to break that down so at your top level federal the yep. leader of that is your prime minister. Exactly. At uh, the provincial your leader of that is the premier.
2: Exactly. And then c- to continue down the local on uh, the the mayor is the leader of the municipal level. And then you got school boards so that I hasten to add.
1: Okay, so that kind of lays down a little bit of the groundwork of what Canadian government looks like. We're going to get into more detail in a moment. But you got off the couch, you wanted to do something. And so you kind of went to the wrong door. Exactly. And and then they redirected you. Where did they redirect you? And and where did that lead you? So in my particular case, given where I live and whatnot,
2: when I was looking at a local campaign to support, uh, in my case here, I chose the conservative party. And so I don't want to be seen as advocating everybody become conservatives necessarily. Like I think I just want to just put this out there at the beginning that I think every Christian in particular should just look at which party most reflects their views and values. And what's going to happen is they're not going to find one because there's no perfect party, but what they can do, and this is something they should realize is that these political parties are not etched in stone. They're not these fixed and determined entities. They can change with, you know, almost like it's shocking. them actually how much they can change with each passing day is people get involved and basically pull or push a given party in whatever direction they want to do. So I would just say, get involved in one and push it and pull it in a more Christian direction. I think that would be better for everyone.
1: I guess there is always the option you could just start your own party and yep. you always have the rhinoceros party or whatever. Well, it'll be I the mean, 23rd,
0: part, 23rd <laughs> you also party have, of Canada, you also have the
2: liberal party and the conservative party. I mean, somebody somewhere started those. I mean, I, ha- I think we have to remember that there are basically men out there who planted the seeds of the trees that now provide us shade that we bask in.
1: Yeah. So you wanted to partner in the conservative party uh, and get involved. So what did that look like?
2: Yeah. So I eventually uh, reached out to, or actually they called me after I made that first call. And I said, basically, how can I help? Because I didn't know what to offer. Well, actually, this is a a perfect example. One of the first things they said was, we're having an an annual general meeting, like all of these entities, you know, they always have this same basic structure. I think every party and every country probably does the same thing. They have these formal meetings and everything comes down to votes. And they basically said, do you want to become a member of the board? And I said, what's involved? Like the first question is always like, well, how much time is that going to cost me? And the answer is kind of like whatever you want to put in. And I was like, "Mm, okay. And that was it. A few weeks later, there was a meeting. I put my hand up. I was a member of the board. But frankly, it was pretty nominal. And then subsequent to that, we got into the election. And one of the things I realized was – being on the board doesn't necessarily mean you're involved in the actual campaign. These parties all elect candidates now to represent them. And, uh, you know, I'm a little disappointed in, uh, how board members don't get on these campaigns, but anyway, I did. And that really turned into just me going out. I was like Mr. Monday night. So I would go out, I would take a couple of my kids, I think the best social studies education my kids ever got, they just learned from walking around in the streets of our town. Sometimes we'd go with our candidate. He would usually take one kid. I'd take another. So there was two out of the four kids would come and we would rotate through.
1: And what would you do? A lot of this is door knocking. Yeah.
2: Door knocking is the most misperceived thing in the world because people think that it's basically a political apology. If someone opens a door and you're going to, you know, with your infinite wisdom, you're going to convert them to your school of thought. And that's not what it is at all. You literally are walking up to the door with your phone in your hand and an app that all the parties provide their volunteers. And you're doing what's called voter ID. You're basically just saying, Hey, there's an election coming up. Did you know that? And most people say yes, Some, a surprising number of people say no. <laughs> and then you say, well, you know, I'm here for the, you know, XYZ party and we hope we can count on your support. And people basically go yes, no, or maybe. And literally like in the, in the app that I was using, there is literally a smiley face. If it's a yes, you click that and that identifies them now. Now they're in your database because I didn't know this, but elections Canada in our case, and I'm sure all the other countries have this. There's a level of data that's out there in public and the political parties all grab it. So when I walk down a street and I punch in a like an address of a door or a house I should say, I know who lives in that house just from Elections Canada data. That's all I know. I don't know if they voted or not, I don't know who they voted for. But that's why I go there to ask the question. So for example, in our most recent campaign in 2019, so I was door knocking in the 2015 and a, and a little bit In the 2019 one. In the first one, 2015, we lost. We lost, there's about 20,000 people that voted, and we lost by about, you know, about a thousand votes. In the second one, we door knocked 67,000 homes during the campaign and obviously many, many months beforehand. And we identified, I think it was somewhere in the order of about 15,000 people that said they were already going to support the conservatives. So we almost won the election, like we knew where the people lived. And you say, well, why do you do that? Why do you go around and develop this database? It's really simple. You know, at the end of the campaign in the last week, the polls open, you have the advanced polls that start up. And then of course, election day itself. And you literally send out an army of people and they go to those same streets, but they don't knock on every door. They just go to the few doors that already said they're going to vote conservative. And you knock on the door and you say, hey, polls are open today. Are you planning to go and vote? Did you, did you know the polls are open today? Again, many people don't know that the advanced polls are open. So when you, when you really boil it down, the door knocks are basically, Hey, are you going to support us? Yes or no. And you indicate if they say no, you never go back to that house again. So, but you've got it in your database. So it's like, no. Okay. We're not ever come back here again. Yes. Click. We're going to come back here when the polls open.
1: So you're identifying and encouraging them to yeah. vote. Yeah. Is the idea now? When you started volunteering in this very simple way, it quite quickly advanced, and then you found yourself actually in a fairly top position.
2: Yeah, there's been three or four kind of watershed ideas that just blew me away, and very quickly. Like when I volunteered in those times, Stephen Harper was the, the prime minister. He'd been in there for like a decade, and been reading in the press about this Harper political machine, like this phrase you heard a thousand times. So I get on the campaign, and I'm out there doing my little thing. And I realized there ain't no machine here. Like there is very, very few volunteers. And frankly, of those volunteers, very few of them are Christians. So instantly it was like, oh, well, no wonder our country's moving more and more away from Christianity. It's not like we're fighting a battle and losing. We're not even on the field. So that was just an instant the light bulb went off for me.
1: In your experience, Mark, yeah. what are the type of people volunteering?
2: I would say you could say political junkies would probably be, a, the would capture most of them. Everybody sort of wants, and I think it's great, even though I disagree with uh, a lot of their points of view, everybody kind of wants the same thing. In their mind, they want to make Canada a better place or whatever country they're in. That's ultimately, you know, why they get involved. It's sort of an ideological um, rationale behind it. There's, you know, around the fringes, there's all kinds of other reasons. Some people are, you know, they make money off it because they've got a lobby group and there's that side of it too. But the vast, vast, vast majority of volunteers are driven because they just want to see change. Again, you get people volunteering for, you know, the NDP or the liberals in our country or labor in the UK and whatever. They'll do it for different reasons than us.
1: Now, in your volunteering, uh, it led to Andrew Shearer actually giving you a phone call. Yeah, tell me about that. How how did that uh, transpire?
2: Well, this is sort of the perfect example, and what I see as the huge opportunity. I look at these this tiny little base of people that volunteer, and instead of getting discouraged, I get highly encouraged because it's so easy to get in. It's it's like you not only can get off the bench, you can be an impact player in such short order. So think about this. So in the in like twenty fourteen, I was just a guy that literally door knocked once a week with my kids. About a year later, I was now president of the riding association. Again, why? Because they said, Does anybody want to be president? And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> Cause I by that time I had realized that in order to, you know, have an influence, you can get into higher and higher positions. And how you get into those positions is basically you raise your right hand and you say, Yeah, I'll do it. Because volunteer organizations, you guys know how it goes. I'm sure you've all had the experience. Everybody volunteers and then really nobody. It's always a very tiny remnant that do the actual work. So I became the riding president. And then lo and behold, we had this thing called a leadership race, which that was the first time I'd ever sort of lived through one. And, uh, you know, a highly respected person that I know said, because I was like, wow, all these people, like who do, who does one support? And he said, support Andrew Sheer." I was like, Okay. Like that was literally the amount of thought that went into it.
1: What What do you mean by race? Is this, this is for the, that political parties deciding who's going to be the leader. Exactly. Yeah. And- so
2: a bunch of people throw their hat in the ring and we're actually, we're in the midst of yet another you know, leadership race in the conservative party again to replace Andrew Shear. It's like a mini election that happens within a party where everybody puts their hat in and says, okay, I'm, I think I'm the guy or the gal to do this. And It's funny because when you think about what happened in in all the internal elections for the, for lack of a better word or races, as they're more commonly known, it's all the same thing. It always just comes down to a vote, but when they're internal, there's one little catch in order to vote, you have to be a party member. So you got to spend your 10 bucks or your 15 bucks and, you know, become a
1: member. So that literally that's all it requires. Yeah. And so, so you have to be present and you got to pay. Yep. That's literally all you have to do. So now where do
2: these normally take place? It's a good question. When I was on the sheer campaign and I want to sort of get back to sort of how I got on that. Cause I think it's instructive, but what I realized is about two thirds of the battle was selling memberships. It was like reaching out to your buddy and saying, can you just go on this website and spend 10 bucks? That was literally probably two thirds of the battle. It was like an arms race. Every candidate was building up a team, and that team's main job was to get everybody they knew to sell memberships. And buy memberships, I mean. Because why? Obviously, the, when it comes down to a vote, the one who has the most voters wins. And that just holds across the board for, like we're talking about an example of a national, that was a national campaign or a national election. But that exact same math holds in your local area when the party's going to be selecting its candidate to represent them. because It's the same thing. A bunch of people throw their hat in the ring. In order to be able to vote, you have to be a member. So everybody goes around selling memberships. I got a phone call last night exactly on that issue from a friend of mine who's in the provincial side of things, which I don't really know much about. It's exactly what he was doing. He's got his hat in the ring and he's trying to get my vote one by one.
1: Yeah, that's great. So let's get back to the main story. How did this lead to Andrew Shear calling you?
2: So I got this tap on the shoulder saying support Andrew Shear, and I was again thinking, well, how the heck do you do that? So I got a number and phoned. I ended up talking to his assistant. I basically just threw out the only kind of thing I could think of. I said, well, if you guys are ever coming out here to the Vancouver area, I will do a little fundraiser for you in my house. Do you just come by? And I'll invite my friends and we'll try and raise some money because that's, you know, basically campaigns, all they really do is raise money and sell memberships. Those are the two functions. And they raise money just so they can sell more memberships. So they were like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. I was kind of surprised. They didn't really jump at it. Usually money talks, right? But they didn't particularly jump on it. And then uh, as a few months rolled by, I got a phone call back from this lady that I had now, that I was now communicating with on, on the campaign and they basically said, you know, much more important to us right now than having one fundraiser is we need someone to help organize our team in BC. Would you do it? And I was like, Nope, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Like I've never done anything like that. I'm just a little door knocker guy. Right. About a week later, my phone rings and it's Andrew (laughs) Shear, And it's like, Oh, like the man himself. Right. So he asked me the same question and, you know, it's quite a flattery thing to, you know, you get your ego stroked when the man himself calls. So I basically said, yeah, I'll do it. Basically, you guys just got to tell me what to do because I don't know anything. And they're like, Yep, yeah, no problem. And long story short, that's exactly what happened. I, I partnered with a guy. I was a co-chair of the campaign for BC and they gave me marching orders and I just fulfilled them. We built out a team. Frankly, I ended up delivering BC, like we Andrew Shear's campaign 1 BC, which is very instructive because it shows you just how threadbare these campaigns are, that they would quote unquote hire. I wasn't wasn't paid. I was a volunteer. but the fact that they would put me on as running one of the provinces, it wasn't like I was just some local you know running, running a little riding. that just shows you how thin it is in terms of how few volunteers. But frankly, again, we made an impact. Like, you know, if it wasn't for BC being delivered to Andrew, he would not have become the leader.
1: I think it's such an important story. It's one of the reasons why I wanted you to share it was a, it is, it is concerning when you realize, man, it's, it's really this basic. Yeah, And if he won, he would have been, you know, the prime minister of Canada. Of Canada for sure. Uh, and then secondly, it's that easy to get involved. Now, one of the reasons uh, that it's important to get involved is that your vote actually matters in in a party yep. because you very much steer the direction of that prime minister. Absolutely. And this surprised me. Now, can you just break this down for our listeners? Like, how does this part work when a convention happens? Yep, very good. And the policies are voted on. Yeah. So
2: when I said to you, like, I basically took this attitude, like, if there was a, you know, a lever that I could grab onto that would have impact somehow on the way I wanted a party to go, my attitude was I'll just raise my hand and grab it. And so I went to my first, what's called a policy convention. So every party does this. My experience is with the conservatives again, the federal conservatives in Canada, but I think it's again, just a a mechanism that everybody uses. Every two years, the party has a policy convention where everything that they stand for Is literally up for grabs. So uh, maybe I should back up a step. For starters, every party has a platform or a policy declaration. It's called in the uh, in the conservative party. So it's literally a document that lists, you know, by number all the things they stand for. Like, and it's all the different aspects of a person's life. We want smaller government. This and you know, et cetera, et cetera, transportation and so on and so forth. And people. Think that parties are these etched in stone entities, and it's precisely the opposite. For example, I went to my first convention it was here in Vancouver, and it was in 2016, if I recall. And at that point in time, the Conservative Party had an official policy on the books that marriage was defined as between one man and one woman. And so, somewhere in the country, some local riding association had done what they were supposed to. They proposed an amendment to that policy. In fact, technically speaking, it wasn't even an amendment. They just wanted to simply have it deleted. They're like salmon swimming upstream. They start at the local level and then there's these little votes that happen locally and the strong survive and they move on to like a regional level. Same thing. All the, all the policy ideas are thrown into the mix as votes. Strongest ones go on to the national. In that case, so I'm sitting in the room and the proposal to have that particular policy deleted was carried. So right before my very eyes, I saw a massive change in the structure of the Conservative Party of Canada. And it was actually, uh, it was driven by a group called the LGB Tories. So essentially all the, the gay lobby that was within the Tory party And as I watched that play out, uh, you know, Maxime Bernier was one of the main proponents of it. Michelle Rempel was another one at that convention. I realized, oh, you know, good on these guys. Not that I particularly agree or disagree. That's not the issue. The main thing was they mobilized, they paid their dues. They, you know, to go to a convention, you got to pay some money to go and register. You have to fly across the country if you don't live in Vancouver. Like they did all that stuff. It was a complete level playing field and they got their agenda through. And so when I realized that, I was like, okay, that's it. I didn't even know about the whole policy side of things. I was thinking more just you get people elected, and then that whole other side of the political process opened up. So again, very short order. In the Conservative Party, in any case, they have this elected body called the National Policy Committee. And I was like, I'm going to join that committee. And it's not join. You get elected to it, which means you have to do your own little mini campaign. So I did it. I just started basically fooling around to the riding presidents in that particular case. So now currently I've now been a member of this 18 person national policy committee for the last, this is my second term there. And all that committee does is just make sure that there's a fair process for everybody's ideas to sort of swim upstream and culminate in the national convention.
1: Now I think this would surprise a lot of people because you would, you would think that you elect somebody with the views that you want uh, yep. represented, but in fact, it doesn't work that way. The right. the leader just represents the views of the party and particularly those that have been voted in this. Uh, uh, would uh, this that is, be correct?
2: Well, this is one, I would say yes and no. And the reason I say that is this is where um, you start to get into distinctions between the parties And so what you just said is exactly true for the Conservative Party, because it's super democratic. Uh, I mean, ultimately, that policy declaration document, which is on their website, that document is essentially the marching orders that the party, the grassroots of the party give their members of parliament. So it's like, we're going to work to get you guys elected. And here are the ideas that you're going to promote. I don't think other parties are quite that democratic. Like a a lot of it's uh, more top down in other parties, especially the Liberals. You know, I'll give you an example. So the two-day convention, like the last convention that I went to was in Halifax and the Liberal Party of Canada had just had their policy convention in Halifax like a month or two before. So it was a two-day convention and we spent, you know, the bulk of two days on policy, like debate and discussion and vote. Whereas the Liberal Party had a two-day convention and they spent 45 minutes on it. So that's just a, a sort of a perfect example of because all to, you know the rubber hits the road somewhere right so you could just see that a lot of their policy stuff was top down another I'll give you another real an example on that that's the very close to my heart historically in Canada the Liberal Party has been the party of Catholics so Catholic Christians just historically have, have gone to liberal and then then basically wasps right white Anglo-Saxon Protestants have gone conservative and this is true across the board, like labor in the U.S., Democrats in the U. or pardon me, in the U.S. and then um, Democrats in the U.S. and pardon me, labor in the U.K. So, but in the last sort of twenty years, as those parties have moved farther and farther left on social issues like abortion, the Catholic vote is, has been going over more to the right. We saw this really dramatically here in Canada when Justin Trudeau was elected the leader of the Liberal Party. He simply decreed that no person would be allowed to represent them as a candidate if they were pro-life. And that wasn't voted on. There was no policy discussion. It was just like an imperial decree from on high. And that's why when I said earlier that I think people should choose the party that reflects their views and values, that's a perfect example of christians losing the battle because they just weren't in the game like if there was a bunch if there was a huge christian voice inside the liberal party of canada trudeau wouldn't have been able to pull that off he would have had to have taken it to convention and gotten a consensus for the members but our our muscle there had atrophied completely so we were just sitting ducks for a takeover
1: now what happens though in say the conservative party on issues of abortion because aren't those voted on Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I've heard mm-hmm. is that one of the politicking that can take place is that those more contentious issues get pushed farther down the agenda, and you might not have time to vote on that issue. Ah, that's
2: a very good question, Andy. Because what you're hitting on here is what I have personally found is, as the old saying goes, the devil's in the details with a lot of the stuff. It always comes down to votes, but there's also all these little tiny tricks of the trade. And this is where – I have found that Christians in particular, like Christ commanded us to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. And you know, we're, we're basically stupid as pigeons <laughs> because all these, we constantly get outplayed on these little tactical details. So if, oh, I thought of one earlier where you said, uh, okay, in order to vote on these things, you got to just be present and have a membership. Well, there's actually a tiny little technicality. You got to be a member for three weeks. And oftentimes how do you even know these little meetings where the vote's going to happen? How do you even know those happen? Well, they get emailed to members, but usually they only give two weeks notice. So if you get the notice and you run out and quickly buy a membership, you're actually, you miss the bus. So a simple rule of thumb that I would advocate everybody do, pick a party, buy a membership, always have a membership. It costs you like 15 bucks or 10 bucks a year. Have it all the time, ready to go, locked and loaded i forgot forgotten your question. You asked a great question. It was so good. I forgot. Yeah. The,
1: with regards to uh, pushing it farther down the agenda. So that you run out of time. Yes.
2: So um, at the last convention, which was 2018, this, is again, the conservative convention, 2018 in Halifax, summer 2018, again, I'm, you know, was, and am a member of the, of the committee running that. There's a little mechanism where kind of like I give the example of fish swimming upstream. There's actually two streams and the Conservative Party. And the the one I referenced earlier is live meetings where there's meetings in the riding and then there's a regional meetings and a bunch of ridings get together. And they literally call those regional meetings. And there's a simple mechanism where the top policy at a regional meeting immediately gets a pass to national convention. And it actually, the regional meeting that was out here in BC, in fact, in another one in, in Newfoundland, as a matter of fact, the top policy was a pro-life policy. So exactly the opposite happened of what you just said. The policy got an immediate pass to convention.
1: In that sense, then what has the most support is going to be
0: higher on the list. That yep. which has the least support is going to be lower on the list. Maybe let's just take one step back and just what what is the biblical support you would say for engaging in politics now, for Canadian, what what would you yep. say to that question? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar,
2: and render unto God what is God's. I think that, I think that's narrowly interpreted as taxation question, because that's specifically why the Jews asked Christ that. But I mean, as as you and I, and probably all of us know, and maybe many of your listeners, uh, we are encouraged to interpret that as broadly as possible as well, because when our Lord said, give unto God those that, things that are made in his image, right? Because he said, whose image is on this coin? Well, who's made in God's image, but we are. So um, it's interesting. As I look now, you know, when I daily read through the Bible, I try and, it's embarrassing to say this, but I try and only I try and spend five minutes a day reading the Bible. Sometimes I don't even do that. But now that I've sort of, you know, the pennies dropped in my mind, I almost can't read a page of the Bible without finding politics. Like, for example, you know, thinking of just coming through Christmas, the opening lines, I think it's Luke, about, you know, Jesus's birth, where a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And that's the reason why, you know, Joseph picked up his family and went from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So if it wasn't for politics playing in there, we wouldn't have had Christ being born in Bethlehem. So I think. I think the Christian church, politics is a huge impact on our life. And I think the Christian churches do a disservice, not just to their own congregants, but to the society by basically letting themselves get elbowed out of the public square. I think, you know, Christianity was a huge factor in the public square. In fact, you could argue it almost created the public square. And yet we've let ourselves just be elbowed aside. And it's not like we're promoting our agenda we're working to make the country better, period, full stop. And so my attitude is everybody should get engaged in politics, whether you're Christian or not, and let's just have a discussion. Let's let's get all the ideas on the table and may the best idea win. Um You know, I don't think it needs to be uh, some sort of hidden agenda or anything like that.
1: Hey, uh, Mark, as we come to a close here, um, we just want to get very practical on ways that people can get involved. In particular, you started up a civic affairs committee. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and how people could get involved, get info on that.
2: Yeah. So after Andrew won leadership and I essentially fluked out onto the winning team, all of a sudden I started being put on these other committees. So I was on this one committee where our job was to try and recruit candidates to run in the upcoming election, which the 2019. So I I put it out there to my circles. I talked to people, hey, if you know good guys and girls that uh, could be candidates for us, let me know and I'll run it up the chain. Many of my personal networks were social conservatives. Basically what happened next was nothing. Cricket, cricket. I'd never, ever hear back from them. And there's tons of outstanding like businessmen and you know lawyers etc that could be excellent uh, political candidates most people don't even think like that though right like how many people does it occur to to say well I'm gonna go and become a politician like it just doesn't occur to us and there's maybe a little bit of a good to that like I'm, I'm sort of down for that on the one hand but on the other it's like again well why is it that we keep losing because we're not present so then I just basically realized. You know, people's normal normal lives just take over, and they need some mechanism to remind them to keep in mind, oh, yeah, right, this this person here would be a great candidate. And so the idea was birth, and again, I didn't create it. I just – these are sort of happening already in Canada, and I just sort of took the bull by the horns and ran with it. Of I was looking for a, mechan- a reminder mechanism. And so the idea was, well, there's – where do people come together? And there's lots of places they do that, but one key one is they go to church and they come together as a community in their church. So it's like, well, why don't we have, like, I think about my church and every church that I know of, they have a a finance committee and they have a parish council and they have all these committees and almost every church has them. So I was like, well, why don't we just have another committee there that's basically the eyes and ears of this community when it comes to when basically the church bumps up against the political world.
1: So in many ways, this is kind of like the door knocking where, not that you're identifying people's policy cuz this is bipartisan but yeah. it but it is a reminder to people hey there's an election coming yep. so i'm always amazed at how low a turnout takes place on elections no matter where you are in the world yep. people don't go and oftentimes people don't even know that it's happening so it's it's a matter of informing people okay an election is happening here are some of the major issues that are taking place and one of the things that i find and we've talked about this that's a challenge is to know where people are on those different issues so yep. that you can vote informative right in an informed way and so in in many ways then this becomes a way or a tool to help people for sure
2: one of the um, groups that I have a huge amount of admiration for in Canada is the Sikh community. And the reason why is they punch so far above their weight politically. The politicians go to them and speak directly to their issues, and they're they're a real political force. And the reason why is they're very good at getting involved in mobilizing, and they, and they, they make those votes count. And so I really think, well, if the Sikhs can do it, around their temples, why can't the Christians do it in theirs? And then as as you start to think about that, you realize, well, if it's really about mobilizing numbers, well, we Christians have the numbers. So there's millions of Christians around. It's just that we've never been organized. Like we punch below our weight and other groups punch way above their weight. And all, so all we're really doing is essentially riding in on our snail here, finally getting with a program, using – we're kind of marrying – all the tricks of the trade that has been used in political organization from the dawn of time and just marrying that to Christianity's numbers of adherents. we've already caught a glimpse of this in the United States um where the Christian voice is has definitely made an impact on the direction of the nation, and again people some people are going to look at that and say that's exactly wrong. you Christians are imposing your morality on us, but it's like, okay, let's just have that debate you know, you guys are, have been imposing your immorality on us. So six and one half dozen another, let's, let's have it out. So the idea of these committees is quite simple. I kind of tongue in cheek, I call them Christian Ted talks. So all we really do is have a couple people in a church that all they really need to do is approach their church leadership, pastors or elders, whatever it may be in the given situation and sort of just put it out there. Can we, can we do this? We feel this is, you know, we want guidance here. Can we come together to do that? And you'll get a yes or a no. And then if you get a yes, all you're really doing then is my organization is always trying to stay one step ahead. So we've already sourced out a bunch of speakers. And the idea is you just bring in speakers to your church and try and educate people in the process. So like the idea of, well, what's the basic mechanisms of democracy? How do votes and all this stuff work? So we go through, we start to educate people on that. The key thing that I would want to emphasize though, is that. There, are, there are all these democratic mechanisms out there—votes, et cetera. Some of them come to us as citizens. Some of them come to us as partisans, namely people that have a membership in a party. And the key thing for us to know is that the battles are fought and won or lost inside the party first. So, like all that stuff we were talking about earlier—the policy development process—all of those ideas bubble up from the from the partisan process. And then when your party gets into power, they can be implemented into law. But they've started years and maybe decades before. So if we're not involved in the party at the party level, we're not, we're not in the game. The civic affairs committees in every church, they're not partisan in the sense of you have to join this party or that party, but they absolutely advocate joining a party. You guys pick, you know, source it out. We'll try and be your eyes and ears and find the information. And, but you guys have to choose, which in a way is, that's why it's sort of like the hallmark of Christianity itself. You know, God himself as an all powerful being could have forced us to all be Christians, but he didn't. He wants us to choose to love him. So we've just taken that to the political side. Another simple way of looking at it is we're not bringing politics into our religion, but we are bringing religion into our politics.
1: Uh, what could people do then if they want more information? Where where could they go web wise? And do you have a, actually, I know you have uh, yep. a newsletter. How can they get onto the newsletter?
2: Yep. Well, it's one and the same. Uh, we have a, yes, go to our website. It's www.civicaffairs.ca. Again, uh, with a Canada angle, www.civicaffairs.ca. There's a newsletter sign up there. Uh, I've kind of modeled it on alpha. Like you think about, I have the highest admiration for Alpha because the thing that I appreciate the most about it is how it has spread throughout all of the Christian churches. It's not just got locked into one. And so literally much like Alpha's own website, we've got sort of one half of it is like, if you want to start up a civic affairs committee in your church, just, you know, there's an email there. Let us know. and We'll help you do that. If you don't want to sort of be an active participant, but you'd still like to be informed You know, when the church, again, butts up against the state, get on our newsletter list and we we put out, we try to put out a monthly newsletter um, and to keep people aware of those issues and where they can make the most impact. So again, www.civicaffairs.ca. And I want to make just a quick point on that is people immediately when they hear this kind of thing, they think they have to be political. And What you have to be is just a little, like anyone that's had volunteer experience, that's all you need. Like you have to just kind of be a little bit organized. So basically, frankly, what we're looking for in the appeal I want to make is it's sort of like two or three people in a church that is all it takes to make it happen. Because all you really got to do is pick an evening where you're going to have a speaker come in, get the word out. You know, if your pastor mentions it from the pulpit every Sunday and you put it in the church bulletin, that's 99% of the advertising you need. And you'll get out, you know, 50, 60 people for your events every couple months. And then we bring in brand name speakers that do bigger events where many churches will participate in. So it doesn't take a
1: whole lot. And in many ways, this is this is a, a simple way that you've gotten off the couch and now you can actually do something uh, with this passion that you have and the, the different areas that you want to see change take place. Uh, wherever you are, yep. uh, particularly here in Canada, here's a way that you can get involved. Thank you, Mark, for being on the show. Uh, appreciate all that you do. I'm sure that we will have you back as we talk on more issues uh, that are going on here politically in Canada. Thank you for all you do. My Thanks pleasure.
0: For awesome. Thank you for coming on and joining us in studio. It's awesome. Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about.